Hello and welcome to Banking Your Head Forum, the top podcast in retail banking. I'm your host, Jim Roos, owner and CEO of the Digital Banking Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. Consumer behavior is changing faster than ever. The impact of the pandemic, technological advances, a greater awareness of environmental, social, and governance issues, and an uncertain economy are influencing financial wellness and buying decisions. More than ever, banks and credit unions are wondering how they can better shape consumer demand and drive engagement and loyalty as consumers are increasingly diversifying their financial relationships. We are fortunate to have PwC partners Greta Lovenheim and Brian Morris on the Bank and Transform podcast. Greta and Brian discuss the results of the PwC Customer Loyalty Survey and share how banks and credit unions can strengthen relationships, increase customer lifetime value, and reduce the likelihood of attrition. According to PwC's Customer Loyalty Survey, more than a quarter of consumers stopped using or buying from a business in the past year, and bad experiences were overwhelmingly the reason why. In addition, one-third of consumers said human interaction was important to their loyalty, and for some businesses, it was more than 50%. Finally, four out of five consumers would share some type of personal data for a better experience. Not surprisingly, these numbers are vastly different based on different generations. So to start us off, Greta and Brian, I have referenced some of the insights from your survey that was done last year. What were each of your most important takeaways? Let me start with you, Brian. Uh, thanks, and I appreciate being here. Um, so what, one of the most important things uh, that, that I took away is something that I've been talking to my clients about for, for years is financial services is not so much different than, than other industries uh, in terms of wanting a good experiences and having choices. You know, it's interesting when I talk to my, my clients in the past, a lot of them are like, well, you know, Banks and financial institutions, you know, they're they're special. You have you you have your all of your 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 finances there, and you make those decisions. It's very important, and and, and you're kind of locked into the, those. But really, if you start looking across the surveys, which the survey actually goes across multiple industries, not just financial services, and you start to compare the various different um, metrics that were were looked at in each one of those. Do we see it's fairly similar? They want some of the same things, right? They want a consistent experience. They want personalization. Um, they want choice. Uh, they want you know these are the things that drive loyalty. And so I think it's a you know continues to be a wake up call for uh, my my clients in financial services to say is if you're not providing that type of a, a personalized uh, experience and providing choices. You know, people are going to start looking elsewhere for 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 doing their financial services in general. I don't know, Greta, where you go. Yeah, Greta, it was was there any aha takeaway from your perspective? Yes, definitely. And hi, everyone. Nice, nice to be here as well. Uh, but from my perspective, I, I totally agree, Brian. Uh, seeing, you know, that not only in banking but across industries, it's not just about the capabilities that a company offers. Clients have been telling us, and by clients, I mean consumers, have been telling us a long time that their loyalty is not just about, oh, I have this great product feature, or I, you know, have this great name for my flavor of checking or flavor of, you know, savings account. It's about the values the company has. It's about the trust I have in the company as my advisor. It's about many things that is personalized to me, not just about the capabilities 
um, that the that that my provider offers. And yeah, I'm willing to move. And that's what consumers are telling us. They're willing to move if they either have a bad experience where they're stressing the wrong things and it's not meeting my needs. And it's certainly if they find someone else who is meeting those needs. So sticking with you, Greta, it is not a total surprise that customers are willing to drop a brand because of a bad experience or, or even misaligned values. But the question really becomes, what do financial brands need to do to mitigate this challenge? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a number of things, um, and some of so some of them are new, and some of them, you know, we've been talking about for a very long time with um, our clients in the banking space and financial services space. You know, I think I, I'll, I'll harp a little on the capabilities and values again, but you know, understand what capabilities are truly needed by the consumers you're. Um, working with by the consumers you're targeting and and see growth potential with, um, but also understand those values because they are at least as important. And so, you know, two different types of consumers, those values may be different things. They may be, you know, environmental impact we're seeing with especially a lot of younger generations is very important to have them understand where you're going in that space. For another set of consumers, and we see some of this in, in, in um, specific diverse segments, what value you're adding to my community, how you're supporting my community and providing financial education is, is very important. Some of those things have sort of been on the side for a long time, but as you think about how you're serving, as you're thinking about, you know, it's, it's not just the experience you're having that day with that, you know, phone rep or that banker in the branch or that you know, interaction when you're logging into online banking. It's about much more than that. And those experiences, bad experiences can traverse that entire spectrum. Well, that's interesting. So Brian, you know, what have you seen change over the last two, five, maybe even 10 years from the perspective of consumer expectations and the ability for banks or credit unions to deliver on those expectations? That's a, that's a loaded question. There's a, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of things. I mean, again, I, I go back to what I said before is that, the, you know, there's a lot of, um, uh, in my opinion, uh, bleeding across uh, various um, uh, sectors. And, and so I, I look at something like, you know, the Apple and the loyalty that you have to like Apple brands and like actually some of the, some of the, the brands that haven't been in finance uh, in the past are getting into finance, like, right. like the Apple with Apple Pay and Amazon. All of these things are starting to bleed in. And obviously you have a lot of the, um, the fintechs that are coming on that are making, making it easier to transact and the rest. Like this didn't, this has been this has been coming up for the past two, five, but you know, 10 years ago, probably not as much. So that expectation of, 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 of you know, what it, what it means to be loyal to an Apple versus what it means to be loyal to a bank. I mean, the expectations that like I'm a bank trying to be like Apple is very, very hard, um, but they have to be able to provide those types of experiences, customized experiences, integrated types of channel experience, being relevant um, at the time. These are things that you know are antithetical to, to a lot of banks. Banks are like, all right, I have my credit card. I'm going to give it to you, my credit card. I, oh, you want one of these widgets? I'm going to give you one of these. And they're really not, you know, even today, you know, really looking at what does the consumer really want? They're just, you know, they have their widgets and they're selling it. And, and it's being able to kind of reverse that all, really understanding what the 
what, what the client wants, uh, and then being able to support that in all the various channels. It's a challenge because it's not just a challenge to understand it for, for banks and financial institutions in general, getting them to kind of coordinate across all of those channels and, 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 and different parts of the organization is incredibly difficult. And the, the other thing that's shifting a bit, not, not to jump in here, ahead, but no, the other thing that, <laughs> that's, that's shifting a bit that we're seeing from consumers is, is a couple of things. One is we're seeing fractured wallets more so than ever, right? We're seeing, you know, consumers are telling us that, you know, 70% plus of consumers want to consolidate their financial relationships, but fewer than, you know, about 40, low 40%, 43% actually do consolidate with one to two financial institutions, right? And that's not because they're intentional about it. It's because, you know, the buy now, pay later, or what's hitting them at what moment in their in their journey of, of what they need from a financial perspective. So even if they want to be more loyal, so to speak, um, and consolidate, they're finding that it's, you know, they're finding reasons why they have more relationships with more providers. So banks need to understand that. Well, and the challenge also is that um, the consumer has been exposed to Brian's point to so many new things, <laughs> even since COVID, you know, the, the difference between DirecTV and Hulu, the difference, but, you know, in the way Amazon treats you versus a normal retailer from the standpoint of really knowing you and understanding you. But, you know, to your point, uh, Greta, as far around the diversification of relationships, it's so easy to click and play. You know, if, if I find something I like that's different than what I'm getting, it's very easy Correct. for me to open a brand new relationship. In fact, it's massively different than trying to close a relationship. So, you know, I think we talk about a lot where we talk about silent attrition. You know, the customer hasn't actually left. They haven't closed their account, but they're not using you the way they used to. And certainly not to the degree. And they don't think of you in the same way. You know, Brian, I'm wondering from your perspective, do you think that banking's kind of gotten a free pass in the past a little bit where their expectation of what a bank's going to actually do for you has been lower than maybe for other relationships? And all of a sudden we're waking up to the reality that, you know what, people want that personalization strategy. Yeah. And again, to your, to your point, I, and I do think that, you know, I, I do think things like COVID and the rest have kind of influenced a bit like you know, the interaction with brands. And like one of the, the key things around different channels to interacting, like, uh, you know, again, a lot of the retailers were able to kind of move very quickly and kind of capitalize uh, on, on the digital channels. Uh, and the expectation, a lot of my clients in the, in the banking industry were like, oh my God, we had to have digital signatures and all of these things. They 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 were they were kind of caught flat footed, but now it's almost like they, they, and they all had plans to be more digital and engage, uh, uh, you know, a lot more and be more relevant. Um, I think it was a huge wake up call when they realized they were caught a, li a little flat footed because because they were thinking people didn't really expect that, and now they're kind of almost over indexing the other way where they're going they're they're, they're accelerating their 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 digital engagement to kind of keep up with where retail. CPG restaurants, you know, needed to go to survive, right? Now suddenly banks are like, "Holy, look, look what happened! We need to kind of uh, uh, go go that way." And so almost all of my clients up. have hyper extended on like, "We have to be like that." What hap What happens if that if, if that comes through again? We're we're going to be in, in a bad situation. Well, we're so, it's subtle sometimes. So I call for a pizza, and they go, "Hey, Jim." 
You know, they start off, hey, Jim, because they recognize my cell phone number. Do you want the same thing on the pizza you had last time? And yeah. I may say, you know, what, what was that? And they know what it is. Well, this is all subtle interactions using personalized information that's driven so much easier on a digital channel than it was on a, on a more individual individual, you know, walk in the branch type channel. So Greta, you, you know, there's a, a catch 22 here because as we try to create these personalized customer experiences, how do we do that without feeling like we're sacrificing the trust when it comes to sensitive data? Or is this simply almost like Amazon where it's, it's a value proposition that my trust level of what you do with my data becomes greater, the better you do with it. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's a good question. I think, as we know, and, and I, have, I have clients that say, you know, banks are, are in the data business, right? I mean, banks, they have a ton of data. Um, it's from at least what we have seen uh, over the years, it is usually a mess. It is not necessarily brought together even to leverage what they have um, for each of their current relationships, treating, you know, using that data to uh, not, I mean, it, it's pretty simple to, to not be throwing irrelevant offers at people, to yeah. be treating them like you know that they even interacted with you for that last pizza, right? Understand that they're not the mortgage account, they're not the checking account, they're not the savings account, they're human. And so be, bringing that data together, limiting the offers that you're throwing, limiting the engagement to what you think is actually going to be relevant based on what they are telling you, what they are interacting with you, what they are showing you as their preference, and actually being relevant in that moment, like the Amazon, you know, in that way, I think is is only going to garner more trust in terms of the customer knowing you have a ton of their data anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's, I was going to just throw in an example, because this is this is like a layup type of a thing that that I've been telling banks to do for years and finally happened to me recently, which was my bank. You know, I had a large deposit that, that that I put in and I log into the app and finally, finally it came up. We, we noticed that you put in a large deposit into your, you know, your account, Brian, um, and, you know, based on the patterns, you know, you're, 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 it looks like you're trying to do some uh, savings plan, you know, here's some examples of things you could do and let's reach out to an advisor. Now, this is something that we've been telling, you know, banks to do for years. They never right. really did it, but now they're starting to incorporate that just to be relevant with, hey, there was the transaction that just happened. Take that and then let's run with it rather than just, you know, hawking credit cards at me and things that I absolutely don't need. I mean, these are things that are now table stakes to be able to do to, move from just transactional to more about, hey, I'm thinking about, you know, about you and your future and how we can help you. You know, it's 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 almost re it's conf a little bit comforting at times for a financial institution to to respond to something you've done in a good way. You know, I, I get a lot of communications from my business and my personal relationships. And sometimes they're so dry, so vague, so general that and and with so many you know, things at the bottom that are the disclaimers that you go, you, you sent this to everybody, right. but for somebody to do what you did, you know, it's funny people who listen to podcasts have heard this story before, but when I bought my Jeep, I put all these feelers out there going, look at me, look at me. I need you to talk to me financially. So nobody did, but every dealer and manufacturer did. 
because they picked up on the fact that there was a credit bureau hit when I did a test drive. And, you know, my personal account, it was strange. I wrote a check for the down payment. And they still didn't reach out to me. So it's, it's, it's getting to the point where consumers are saying, you know, I'm giving you all the feelers out there to say, help me. But they they aren't taking those up. So, Greta, when when you when you talk about organizing, working with the data and mm-hmm. unifying the data, where should financial institutions start? I mean, I you know, the good news is we have a lot of third party providers out there that can take data in its worst form and make it usable and, and deployable. But where do you think they should start? And, and agree totally on that point. I, I think from, you know, from my perspective, where I've seen uh, banking clients and others fall down with that is trying to sort of boil the ocean all at once. And, you know, they can spend three years and millions and millions of dollars trying to, you know, get to where they can start to use the data after bringing it all together. For, from my perspective, it focus on the key use cases, right? So it, be very use case driven. What are the things, what is the, you know, simple sort of first step that you want to be able to bring, you know, a subset of data together and use and see value. Start there. Then build on the next prioritized one based on what you think is going to be the ROI and sort of the quick hits. Um, when When we work with clients and have them do that, there's a lot more value that happens and it just helps pave the way to to build and build and build on top of that for the next use case. And then, you know, you'll end up being able to use the, the output of that for multiple things that even if you built it for that first use case. It's like trying to boil the ocean. You, you know, we always, exactly. banking tends to make the easy difficult um, over and over again. And, and yes. as you said, you know, take a use case, take something you want to do and you can act on immediately, build the, build the confidence in the fact that it works and that it's not about an individual time period. It's about overarching examples. You know, you, we, we used to get have a hard time getting people off that, you know, spring for cars, fall for equity credit, or it might have been vice versa. I don't remember anymore. But as opposed yeah. to, let's just pick the person when it's their time and talk to them. You know, Brian, yeah. from your perspective, how do you see organizations actually from a success story standpoint where do they start with their data and how can they deploy it the best for the consumer's benefit, not just serve for their own? Yeah. So, and again, this is not just in financial institutions, right. but you know, it's, it's more broadly, you know, especially some of the, 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 the key things that have, the key term that's come coming up in the last three years is the customer data platform um, and, and building out their, their CDP. And there's, there's, thousands of different uh, types of, of, of CDPs. And actually it's the worst ac- acronym, the customer data platform, because it is it, it, it does house customer data, but it, there's a lot of dependencies uh, on, on, on how you bring that data together. And the, the theory of the customer data platform is to bring together into one space, a unified profile of the individual, both everything you know about them inside the, the financial institution, but also t- taking all the digital signals, uh, marrying those all together Right, and then being relevant at the time, based on the behaviors and the experiences in the moment, to be able to be very relevant. And so, you know, in the again, the past three years, we have uh, worked on strategies to help develop that out and actually implement a number of, of CDPs within the organization. But a lot of financial institutions have been disappointed in them, 
and, and they've been disappointed in them for a couple of reasons, exactly what Greta said. They try to boil the ocean with these huge use cases that, uh, you know, or, or boil the ocean where they don't get any value. Instead of um, taking one use case with maybe one part of the organization, maybe it's a credit card, maybe it's in the, in, in, in the retail bank, um, and, and showing how to do just basic retargeting. Uh, for instance, or something to personalize on the site, one channel, as opposed to trying to do uh, omni-channel, blah, 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 blah. They start, they start trying to drive it, and, and then it fails because they don't see the value of it because it's not just the technology. It is also how you need to organize all of the handoffs be be between this inside the financial institution. So to, you know, to answer your questions, one of the things to think about is to think about something like a CDP where you could bring all of this data together with one or two really solid use cases um, where you know the metrics you're trying to move, um, do a, a proof of value on it in the three, six month time frame, get that going, and then do the next use case. And then slowly start to expand that across the different business units and the different product sets. Um, and, and, and you'll start to see the change. Again, we're doing this right now with a the, with the client and they're starting to see the value and they're starting to get the snowball effect. You know, with, with that in mind, though, you know, we talk about the CDPs. We talk about all these ideas and, and reports that get generated. How difficult have you seen it for financial institutions to move from these really good data reports that are kept internal and the actual deployment? Because the deployment it's where the money is. It's also a matter of saying, how do you do it at speed and scale? Yeah. Because if you if you take three months to verify that the data is going to get you to the right solution, you've lost most of your opportunities because opportunities happen in an instant. How, how do you get there? So again, I'll just reiterate, it's going to the, uh, it, it's taking a use case that you can actually implement because to your exact point, it's not just bringing the data together, it's how you execute on that. So a lot of our clients still, you know, they they have the they they know they they know that you were on the site uh, five seconds ago. They know that you were clicking on you know a mortgage, right, and that you actually started to apply for the mortgage, and then uh, you 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 abandoned. They know all of that, all of that's sitting in the CDP and the rest. How they actually use that to <laughs> to to get you an instantaneous, hey, by the way, why did you abandon the rest? That requires not only integration with the rest of the stack. But also the process and the, uh, to 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 pull together the campaign, pull together the creative, get it out on the site, and then um, you know execute on it. And that piece requires not just the technology, but it requires the process, the approvals, all that stuff. Where a lot of our clients, and you think in 2023 this has changed because a lot of other industries it's not, is they still do a lot of these push campaigns. Push. Oh, all gosh, right. Yeah. Every month we're going to do this one, and then we're going to do this one, and then we're yeah. going to do this one. It's going to take you know seventy days to get it going, and they do all these push campaigns versus doing more of the pull, where I'm there, I'm in front of the ATM. You got me for five seconds. What are you going to say to me, right? And they're like, ah, I don't know. Um, so the technology is there, and 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 they're working on the technology. Where I think they really need to focus in on is how do they align the processes, the ways of working the org to take advantage of it. I think that's really where the bottleneck is. And I'd add a couple a couple of quick things there too. Yeah. I, I'd say one in terms of, you know, when you think about execution, like Brian said, I, uh, testing and learning, right? Building that discipline where you are constantly testing, put, putting that feedback almost real time back into the process and adjusting 
at, you know, not just waiting until, well, okay, we'll do this campaign again next year and let's learn from it for next year, where it's, you know, how's it going in the moment and how, to, how can you adjust on the fly? And what we see a lot of clients that are doing this well really, really do there is pull these agile teams together that not only include, you know, marketing and customer experience and, and, and sort of that, that sort of forward, you know, front office kind of set of people, but also the risk and compliance folks so that you're not sort of getting to the idea you've designed it hundred percent. And then you then go send it into the ether to try to get it approved and get turned down. Um, and then three months later, you still don't have something to go to market with. It's including everyone along for that journey. It's getting out of that campaign strategy is what it is. You know, Brian, you referenced that a second ago. You know, yeah. as long as you're in that campaign strategy, you can't deal with the instant opportunities out there. And it, and it, and that's where your compliance and everything else. Get them to approve the process, not the campaign. And it's going to be a lot easier. That's a great point, Greg. And I don't want to, but I just want to make sure it's like, you know, some of the big banks have, I, I've started to really, really, I mean, there's, you know, not, not many names, but some of the larger banks have actually started to get very good at this, right? They, mm -hmm. they're investing a ton in their analytics yeah. teams in agile, um, interestingly enough, some of the most innovative, you know, tech and uh, the ways of actually getting stuff out is coming out of some of the larger banking institutions. They finally got it over the past uh, few years. So I don't want to say like it's doom and gloom for, for those larger ones, but as it trickles down to like the tier twos and then it's the, down to the community bank, you, you see this drop off of, of both from the the resource uh, commitment to the, d d doing it, um, you know, but um, they, there's this hunger. They want to do it. They want to emulate what the big banks are doing. And they're, and, and so they're now trying to figure out how to do it. Uh, but it's a challenge. It's definitely a challenge. Well, it's, it's interesting, Brian and, and Greta, that what we see is the big banks do it really well. The smallest banks are getting really good in finding partners that can deliver on that as well because their management is, is totally in tune with what they need to accomplish. It's those mid-level that have really been challenged because there's so much legacy leadership and so many legacy thought patterns and processes in place. And it's hard to break down those barriers. The, the little ones, it's like that pickup truck versus the semi. You know, the semi's got a lot of money, so they get it accomplished. But nobody's doing it extraordinarily well yet. You know, yeah. Grant, I'm going to get to you on, on a point, too, that your research talked about the importance of humanized relationships. And we've talked about this recently on the deployment of data and the deployment of insights to the human element of financial institution communication. How do you deal with that and how important can that be and how is it best achieved? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is important. And we're, I mean, we're seeing, and as Brian said, it's not just within financial services, we're seeing that across, you know, across sectors and it, financial services is no exception to that, right? It, we're seeing, I think it was something like the research said, 55% of uh, consumers within financial services say that that experience, you know, the humanized experience is it, it can make or break their their experience. I think, you know, in, in my mind, I think it's looking at, you know, where, you know, thinking of an example like, you know, opening a new account or applying for a new account that, you know, consumers have have preferences for channels but when you get to a more complex type of in, of interaction or engagement where they're opening a mortgage or they're opening you know a more complex product or they're filling a more complex need they may start in one place 
with their research. They might be looking online and then they may need to, because they have questions, they may need help. How does the bank, today, what that will feel like, having, having done such things, what that will feel like is, okay, I need to stop what I'm doing. And then I need to go out of my way to go figure out where the bank can help me either on, you know, sitting on hold at a, at, on a call center for, for maybe the right person or going into a branch in the middle of the business day or something of that nature. How does the bank sort of anticipate the potential points in time of that, of that interaction to make sure there is human or humanized um, help in a way that is seamless and in a way that doesn't frustrate the consumer and make them go seek potentially someone else who can do it better. I think that's the place where it's not an easy thing, but looking at, you know, particularly, you know, I know I harped on being use case driven, but that's where looking at some of the more complex and more common interactions and starting there to, you know, where do they see those frustrations? Doing some of that, you know, strategic primary research to say, where are in that journey of my customers where are they? Where are we falling down? Where do they seek out that human help? And how do I start there in terms of being able to provide it, either with, you know, online help or you know, steering them in an easy way across channel? So on that point, Brian, it is are we looking at more of a need to democ- what I'm going to call democratizing the data within the financial institution? In other words, the insights, the the things that happen instantly that a, a customer may be in a great position to to buy something or want to buy something. Do we see the democratization of insights where we deploy them across any contact center being important where the human can actually get involved in the process above and beyond what's done digitally or through email? Uh, yes. And I'll actually take that one step further. So again, going back to like things like the CDP, that that actually allows you to democratize data. At one point right. in the in the bank that has the profile and everything that that, that uh, individual has done across all of the, 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 uh, the different lines of business, across all of those channels and the rest. And that's kind of, that's now being brought together uh, at an individual level. Interestingly enough, where, where it's actually also going now, um, I'll take, again, I'll take it one step further, is now banks and financial institutions are looking for partnerships, right? Outside of financial institutions, so that they're looking at things like data clean rooms and the rest to be able to allow partners to come in and marry what, what I know about uh, my uh, clients um, with what you know about my clients to be able to share, not at the individual level, and there's a lot of privacy uh, uh, concerns yeah. here, yeah. but more at a segment level. So we're starting to see more um, ecosystems uh, starting to, to form where both financial institutions and, 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 and uh, those outside of financial institutions are starting to work closer together. Now, again, we're in early days of things like the data clean rooms and sharing um, of, of that information. And, there, and there's, um, but I, I think there's, with the deprivation of what we're seeing in the third party cookie, um, it's requiring uh, a lot of our clients, both in, um, in financial services, as well as outside financial services, to get their data together. And now that their data is, is together, now how do they share their data with others in privacy compliant manners to get insights to, again, see how they can start to surround uh, these individuals' uh, wants and needs, both 
financial needs and other needs. So again, I'm, I'm taking a lot, you know, maybe to the extreme, but but it's really is around that data and getting as much insight as you can, sharing that so people can can be there in the moment. That, that well, it's actually looking at, at the customers holistically, and you can take alternative credit data, you can take purchase data, all these things. You know, I get frustrated because I've been banking forever, and we gave away all that purchase insight where now financial institutions simply get a transaction that. Amazon $12.45 as opposed to, you know, Jim's buying a lot of technology equipment and things of this nature. You know, when we look at these things, you know, I think you're right. When we have to combine more data from inside and outside and, and some of it not as personalized, but at least trending in certain ways to get it so that we can bring the consumer better solutions. Because if we don't, and, and even to the point of asking consumers their opinions on things and being able to process that, which we can now do on the cloud, which we weren't able to do before. I would just suggest was what, what Greta said, because people are making their decisions on not just, um, you know, what what you what you do for your product and your services, but what you believe. Right. Um, I'm a yes. Simon Sinek guy. It's like people buy what you believe. Uh, and so you start to see, you know, if you're involved in things like social justice causes, ESG environmental uh, pieces and others, and you could see a lot of brands actually got into hot water for taking positions on these things, but, but, but it matters to people. And so to your point, it goes beyond the transaction. It's what you know about what's important to these individuals, not just their financial, you know, needs, but other needs. And are you satisfying them? Are you aligned to those? Um, is going to be what's going to take it from transactional to uh, uh, to a more loyal loyal customer. And I would say not just democratizing that data, but it's democratizing what that data means, right? Like you can, Yes. I, I have seen multiple examples over the years of, you know, you put a lot of data in front of a customer facing banker, depending on, and they may or may not know what to do with it. You need to make sure right. it's not yeah. just like, okay, you know, Greta Lovenheim, earns us X dollars in profitability per year. The banker in front of you may or may not know that that's good or bad, may then tell the customer and spark, and spark a whole conversation around what drives profitability. And as a customer, that might be a, a, you know frustrating to me that I earn you so much in profit, right? It's it's what does that mean and what should you do with that information? You know, Greg, that's a, an extraordinarily important point because I keep on referencing the fact that sometimes we forget that we have to ask the question sometimes. If we keep on driving through answers based on data, we're going to mess up. But, you know, I give the example of when the, the um, PPP checks came out mm -hmm. that we saw in many cases and when people were able to uh, defer their payment on their mortgages. A, a lot of people deferred the payment on mortgages, but half of them were deferring it because they couldn't pay their mortgage. The other half were deferring it because they wanted to build up a savings package between the PPP deposits and and government deposits, as well as the deferred loan payments, they were able to build up a, a nest egg worried about what could happen next. Those are vastly different people with vastly different needs. But if you ask them the question, why did you defer the loan payment? You can get to a much better space. And we now have the ability to actually collect and use that information, which which we didn't really have in a seamless way before. You know, Greta and Brian, I get frustrated because number one, in all the research we do, improving the customer experience is always number one. Things that I look at from the standpoint of 
what they invest in don't always talk the same tune. Um, we look at reduction of costs and other things, and data and insights are not as high up the rank as I think they should be. What stands in the way of progress around loyalty, customer experiences, and things of this nature? What are the what are the hurdles to success? And I'll ask you both that question. Yeah, and so from my perspective, you know, the things that we often hear the most, or that I often hear the most, are you know, oh, our data is a mess. I wouldn't even know where to start. And that you know, back to you know, we talked about this. I won't be the dead horse about being use case driven, but you know, you don't have to start with the whole world. You can start a piece at a time. Um, we hear, you know, oh, the customer data changes too quickly. Um, and so I can't get a gauge on what's really happening. So why bother? And not, not in those words per se, but that's sort of the, you know, the theme. Yeah. And I'd say, you know, that's actually a learning is that it's something is changing very quickly, maybe develop triggers based on that, that then points to you know, when something like to Brian's point, he made a, you know, he made a transaction and he finally heard from somebody that they noticed, right? How do you take advantage of the fact that certain things change that you want to act on and build those triggers? Um, I think the other thing we've talked around this a little bit is, you know, segmentation has to evolve in terms of, you know, a lot of banks we talk to, particularly in, you know, not sort of the, the, the top tier of, of size, but in that middle tier, you know, a lot of time things th think about segmentation from a, you know, oh, I, I'm looking at the affluent segment or, oh, I'm looking at, you know, this age range and this income range. And it's so much, you know, you can only do so much with that. And, and particularly from a compliance perspective, you can only do so much with that. But it's about behaviors. It's about mindset. It's about what choices is the customer going to make? Those kinds of questions that you asked about why is someone doing that? What's underlying and driving that person as a consumer and using that for your personalization. Um, and, and, and that's not, a, with today's technology and the data that's available, you really can get at those answers in a way that's very efficient. Well, and it's putting those things together. You know, I, I'm, I'm sitting here in a demographic uh, generation that is, is old. Um, however, my behavior, my, oh, thank you. That was, that wasn't, I wasn't looking for that as a response, but thank you very much. The challenge is the way I bank this is not defined by my age. The, what yes. we are banking with is not defined by where we are in our life cycle. The reality is until two years ago, we had a son in college quite a bit later than many people um, that we know. And, and as a result, we're still dealing with cash flow issues, you know, more than, more than retirement issues. And, and the way I do my banking is entirely mobile. The way I do all my payments are entirely mobile, not with cards, not any other way. And I'm not writing checks. So I'm, I'm not your demographically typical consumer, but nobody is. It's, it gets down to behavior. And, and Brian, you know, you've talked about different industries, but I think it's, it's not unlike the financial service industry. What stands in the way of doing what we all are talking about and have been talking about for quite a while, the, the common sense things? People, uh, that's the other thing. I, seriously, I, I, maybe I'm taking the more cynical. No, no. I, People I, I, are I, all... I, yeah. Uh, yeah. Look, the technology's there. Like, we're not, right. like, everyone's like, oh, we need to be able to integrate data. We need to be able to get insights. And, and it's all important. And, and look at behavior. That's all. We can do that. Like, that is, that's the easy part. I mean, it's not the easy part. But, it, but it, the problem is, what are you measured on? 
What are your metrics? What are you going after? And the process that you're dealing with, like, um, you know, the, the, the card folks are still focused in on their cards. The retail bank is still focused in on their products. Um, and I was just talking about, you know, to, to a client recently who was saying, you know, they wanted this product portfolio strategy and like they're, they, you know, how they were going to go do their marketing product by product by product. And I'm like, that's great. You're not. <laughs> but that's, don't do that. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. it's great for you as the bank to really be organized right. by your product so you can hit your metrics. Unfortunately, it's not how the client buys. Client doesn't care about my this credit card or this credit card or this credit card and the rest. And what it cares about is what what's what what is what's in it for me. And so again, people are defined by their metrics and they'll go after their metrics and they'll optimize to those metrics until we reorganize that and say, look, we're going after customer lifetime value is your new metric, by the way. So customer lifetime value across all channels and products. That's your metric. And that's what your bonus is going to be based on. And so your product actually may be the loss leader, but and, and his product over here or her product over there may be the one that's most profitable. Yours isn't. But you're not going to be measured on that. You're going to be measured on the lifetime value of this individual and how it aligns to our brand values and the rest. Once that happens, when maybe you know, I have gray hair, maybe I'll be, I don't know when it's going to happen in my lifetime. Once we, and we are starting to see that shift, but slowly, once we start to see that happen, you'll start to see a lot more of this cross-channel and omni-channel kind of stuff. Again, I'm standing up a stack for a client right now, and we have a great stack uh, that can do all of this analysis. What is the one thing that we're not really talking about? The elephant in the room is, how are we going to change the way we work to enable us to actually do this? That is so true, though. We see it over and over again that legacy thinking, legacy processes get us in our own way. We, we, we stumble upon ourselves as we try to move forward. And it gets very frustrating because the opportunities are there. Everybody says they want to do things. But, but until you change sometimes the back office processes, until, and Greta brought this up at the very beginning of this podcast, until you involve compliance on the front end and realize that, they're not the enemy, but they're part of the partnership you have to build to get these programs out. And as you said earlier, Brian, until you get out of the campaign mentality, you know, until you stop looking and saying, you know, I got to generate uh, 3,000 credit cards in the first quarter and say, oh, by the way, I need three a day. And oh, by that, that's going to get me the number I need by the end of the year. And until we also change the digital processes to start the engagement. You know, we're, we're stumbling over 15 minute digital account opening experiences and we know we got to get down to three to five minutes. But then we say, oh, we want that. But we want the, the driver's license to be the first point of, of verification. You go, you can't get to three to five minutes with that being the first step. The solutions are there. Yeah. They're, they're there. We, we get in our own way. And so does I'll, I'll say so does profitability. Our success as an industry and institution by institution gets on our way because it doesn't feel broke yet, even though we know it is. Yeah. It's tough. So Brian Grevitt, for the last question is, is looking ahead, what trends do you see on the horizon with regard to data, experience, and loyalty? Um, all right, I'll start. It's, it's just fun. I think that the, you know, and we, we start to see things in the AI space that I think is going to 
start to really speed a lot of this stuff up. I mean, I know that you, you know, the big buzzword out there now is around chat GPT and this generative yep. AI. I really do think that this is a, a is a, a game changing type of a technology that actually takes the human out of, of a lot of this where you're going to have, and again, it's not just chat. Everyone thinks it's chat GPT as, as you know, chatting, right? But this can actually be uh, uh, ingested, you know, through their API uh, on, on things like what's going on in the site, uh, what's going on in other channels and listening, and then be able to respond back or prompt things in real time in natural, natural language. Um, and you're also seeing that with, uh, with, with, with generative um, content. And I yep. think that's going to speed up the flywheel and ability to kind of react um, uh, much, much quicker now to be more personalized. There will be it, it, the, the flywheel to be able to get from you are in this channel uh, and, uh, and what to do next will be exponentially faster. The challenge is going to be uh, still the regulatory, the compliance um, uh, and, and how we actually allow that AI to uh uh, to perform. And then there's the whole thing around bias and, and things of that nature. But I definitely see that that technology is going to make it much more um, challenging for banks and financial institutions to remain in their silos and continue this 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 push campaign because every other industry is already uh, starting to go down that path. Greta, from your perspective. I, I mean, I totally agree. And I think back to the, the notion of legacy thinking, I think, you know, leveraging the analytics, the data, the AI that Brian's talking about to understand the, the speed of, um, my, you know, the mindset shifts that are happening and, and anticipate the mindset shifts. I mean, I have a lot of clients that are, that, that ask about, you know, how do we, how do we improve our, um, relate, you know, number of primary checking relationships that in my mind, I mean, under growing checking is not a bad thing. Don't get me wrong, but to the consumer, the, the, the notion of particularly the younger consumer, the notion of primary checking isn't really a thing anymore. Like when we That's look a at great point, yeah. Gen Z and you ask them who and why, who is their primary bank and why they're talking about who do I trust as my advisor? Yeah. Who shares my values? You know, lots of different answers. And it is it is vastly different than the average boomer. Well, right? for many people, say, it may be their credit bank. It may be their be buy now, pay later bank. It may be Venmo. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. That, that, I mean, I agree 100%. That is, the, the, yeah, is generation is really the value, the value prop and, and how you relate to them. And, not, you know, that's going to be a, a, a key thing for for keeping a loyal customer. Yeah. Talking to one of my clients, they're like, if someone can under tell me how to understand Gen Z, please tell me because uh, I can't understand. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's interesting because, you know, I look at my business bank. If somebody asked me, who's my business relationship with? I'd say PayPal in an instant because they handle all my inflows and my outflows and they're continually offering me things based on my relationship. But they understand intimately. My transactional bank that holds my business deposits doesn't know me nearly as well. And I wouldn't consider them my business bank. They're simply the place where I hold my checking account. And and that is not my primary relationship in the business world. So Greta, how do people get a hold of this loyalty study? Yes. So um, it's, it's, it's posted on our website. We certainly, you know, they can certainly reach out to Brian and I. We're happy to um, 
happy to have any conversations on the subject. Great. Thank you both for being on the show today. You know, it's always interesting to look at the gap between expectations and deliverables. And the good news is this is not an insurmountable challenge. It's just we sometimes just have to get our own way. Well said. Exactly. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform, the winner of three international awards for podcast excellence. We appreciate the support we have received during the past three years. If you enjoy what we're doing, please take some time to show some love in the form of a review. Also, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and check out the research we're doing for the Digital Banking Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our senior producer, Leah Haslidge, audio engineer, Sean Earl Hoffman, and video producer, Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Remember, the challenges of winning and keeping a consumer's business are very real, but so are the opportunities. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.